You're listening to Opacity, podcast about working in design. Today, we've got a very special guest again on the podcast, all the way from uh, LA. How you doing, Paul? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on. So you're the chief creative officer for Eden Speakerman. Is that correct? Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, Paul, you and I interned together years ago. Um, and we're both obviously working in an internship and we get lunch together and that kind of thing. And I remember one day you were like, I've got a, I've got a call later today with uh, Eric Speakerman and his, his, his company. And for any, anyone who's not familiar with like graphic design, that kind of thing, he's, he's a big deal. So I was like, what? Really? Excellent. Hope it goes well. And now, many years later, yeah, you've obviously made, you know, you've moved up to the ranks from an intern to a chief creative officer. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been a, it's, it's, it feels like kind of only yesterday, actually, that I, that I started there. And it was a, yeah, it was a, it was actually, you know, even just diving right in, it was really surprising how open some of these big companies were when I interviewed for them. In fact, uh, it, I sent around, you know, so many portfolios as we, as we all mm -hmm. did when we left, um, when we left university. And this, I found that the bigger the companies and the more well-known that actually the more they got back to me, mm. like, and they, they were very responsive. And the Eric, of course, was one of them. And uh, Eden Speakerman, like, emailed me right back. Um, there was had a really good process. And yeah, of course, I was couldn't believe mm. this. It's like, who doesn't know Eric Speakerman? Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I also remember that day. And I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm going to talk to these guys. Yeah, fair play so to you. It was cool. So yeah, many years later, you've became an intern. You've moved up the ranks, to, and you've obviously had some great experiences there. Getting in, getting on board, meeting Eric Speakerman himself, uh, which has led you to today, where you've got a brand new book, "How to Do Great Work Without Being an Asshole." Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> great title. Thank you. I'm very much inspired by by Eric, and even to even those early days as an intern. Um, I'll never forget. So I started at Eden Speakerman as an intern. It was like uh, it was like literally following the the internship time that we done together mm -hmm. at the Creative District in Dublin, and going in there on the first day, of course, like anyone else, t terrified to meet this this guy who's very loud personality. He's definitely on stage as larger than life, and so I I walk up to the I walk up to the the, the kitchen at the time, and it's the kitchen is the heart of the office, and. I was like, Mr. Speakerman. He's like, Mr. Mr. Speakerman. I'm Eric, <laughs> and uh, he's like, You're, you must be Paul. And I was like, How do you know that? It's like, I think three interns starting at the same time. And from that moment, it was actually like it was a light bulb went off in my head, and it was something that came up again and again, especially the internship. He knew the name of me, all the other interns, where we'd studied. Mm -hmm. um, he even knew where we um, where we'd worked, where some of them had worked before. And always had a little anecdote about what town you grew up in, or maybe like for me, it's like, yeah, I, I gave a lecture in, in in the university, like you know, five years ago. Or he does a, actually, he, and he always has a funny anecdote that's, I'd say, below the surface. Um, so he does a mean Ian Paisley impression, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> which is just so bizarre. But the point being is that he really knows everyone by name in advance, and like, I mean, it's very easy in a company of like. I don't know how many people were in the Berlin office at the time. Maybe it was like 
60, 70 people mm -hmm. and you have three, three, four, five interns starting on the same day for a three month gig. Mm -hmm. And he knew their names all in advance where they studied. And I was really like, wow, this guy can, can learn everyone's name mm -hmm. um, and not be a dick to them. Then why, why can't the, the, you know, the, the, the small studios and you know, the big studios alike yeah. do the same? Why can't we all? Yeah. And so within, within the book, obviously great title. Um, so uh, you've given a talk out as well a couple of years ago. I remember seeing some video going around. It was an awards uh, ceremony or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a similar theme, theme isn't like the kind of office etiquette, not to be an asshole, covering uh, some of the the points that you that you cover in the book. But obviously, you elaborate a bit more in the book. And uh, so, like, in order to, there's a lot of points in the book that are talking about different scenarios where people are being assholes. And, you know, something we can learn from it's a very in a very humorous way. It's got the kind of flow diagrams around even, you know, am I the asshole? You know, it's, it's quite funny. Um, but like it, it's it, it's a humorous approach to a real life problem that's in the industry. And in order to build up all those different stories, those anecdotes and stuff, you would assume that you've come across quite a few assholes. Is that, is that for sure? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is like a lot of the characters in the book are com obviously composite characters, mm. you know, from different, different experiences. Um, I've been pretty lucky in my career, like working obviously with you initially at the creative district and that was a very small team and that was great. Mm. Then working at Eden Speakerman, also like a, a company that's everything work life balance and then going to, to huge in New York uh, for a few years. Yeah are another company which are very very atypical of new york and it was really a huge i realized um why this topic was so important because i I'd, I'd always taken it for granted that you should you know um try and work sustainably that work-life balance is important and it was something that was very much the case at huge but huge was clearly the exception from when i'd have conversations with people that didn't work uh, that I didn't work with, like outside of the agency, they're working at other agencies, like at, at the big ad shops. So I was like, the, the, the horror stories of like how people, um, you know, how the, or so how the the cult, the creative culture of toxicity, of long hours, of the egomaniacs, like all of the things they would kind of joke about, mm. um, is all just part and parcel of it. And that was really in, inspired the book. Mm. There, there was a moment. Um, I met a friend of mine and we had a, a, a kind of a, a heated debate over some drinks about working late in the creative industry and having worked in Germany for so long, I was like, yeah, in, in Germany, it's like, if you don't get your shit done in eight hours, it means that you suck at your job, you know, you, or you, you've haven't planned your time correctly or yeah, but of course there's always exceptions to that, yeah. but ultimately there's something's gone wrong along the way. Whereas in a lot of, I would say, um, English-speaking countries like Ireland, um, maybe not so much, but like in London and definitely in the States, mm -hmm. um, this culture of if you're not the last person out of the office, you know, you're uh, you're you're not doing your job, is definitely the case. And then it's also on top of the myth of of the creative always needing to to toil, you know. Um, mm to 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 make great work and you know it's true I, great ideas can't strike at any any time but the, the fact is <clears throat> no one does great work when they're when they're tired when they're burnt out and when they've no headspace to play and that's I, I, thankfully i think things are starting to change mm, totally yeah, i totally agree with that um and it seems to be something that's coming some coming more into the into people's minds now i, I know like you know jason freed as well 
and the guys in Basecamp they just released um you know it doesn't have to be crazy at work I think was a recent yeah. recent release and, and mm-hmm. rework and all that type of stuff and they're basically calling out some of those things as you're saying as well like you don't need to overwork yourself you don't need to like if you can't get it done in a reasonable amount of hours most of the time I mean no no everyone's expected to work late or you know the odd day over a weekend or something of course but it's the exception rather than the rule but uh it's I hope it's good you know there's rumblings in the industry and it sounds like people are catching on to this but then again there's always those those agencies where they can kind of go oh you know good for them yeah that's not how we work uh yeah you stay here late you know you put all the effort in and and uh, yeah yeah you know, and burn yourself out like you know and how you know how can you how sometimes you can you can push through uh ideas and stuff but I, in my experience anyway uh, someone said to me before, like any hours you put in today, you can kind of take them out to, out of the progress you'd make tomorrow. Uh, any extra hours that is, so you know you can you feel like you're making a year. You stay back till ten or eleven, you're getting all this work done, and then you come in the next day and you're just like your brain isn't working on properly, like, yeah. you know. So you're you're less efficient. It's kind of a law of diminishing returns or something, you know. Exactly, and I think the other thing people forget about, and Paula Sher gave a wonderful talk on this, is this notion of serious play. Mm. Which is where um, creative people need to need this headspace to 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 play and experiment and and push themselves outside of their day to day work. And I think that's why Paula's done this this amazing had this amazing career where she's um, constantly reinvented herself and she's you know always her work is always fresh and relevant. Mm. Um, it's because she believes in this notion of serious play and when you're working in a commercial field and let's be really straight here. Like we're 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 not making art. Mm-hmm. This is we we are making people fucking money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what we're doing. Um, it's like I, and for for better or worse, um, I think having that that headspace to play outside of um, commercial work is really important. And it doesn't matter what it is, if it's like writing, or if it's um, like some some guys in our office uh, make furniture, or if they're you know whatever, collecting stamps, whatever, whatever, whatever it might be. But having that space to play uh, is really important, I think, for creative people. And it feeds back into the work you're doing at the time, yeah. you know, either directly, like learning a new skill, like maybe motion design or indirectly, if it's something like, um, yeah, just just building furniture and you're just opening up your mind to more hands on approach. It doesn't matter what it is, mm. but you need you need that space to play. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul, I, I jump in. Um, Paul, I got a question. So you've spent a lot of time thinking about what an asshole is, kind of analyzing the asshole in all of us uh, or the assholes around all of us. Like, I wonder, is there, what's the opposite of an asshole in this environment? Is there like a goal? Like, don't be an asshole, but be this? Mm-hmm. Great, great question. I think the first part of that is that like obviously we are all assholes at some point mm-hmm. you know that's like just a, f- a fact and I do I think that um, how do I put it so the opposite I don't know if there's so much an opposite of an asshole but more a uh, trying to remove just the, the the behavior of it because a lot of asshole behavior in the creative industry is unintentional. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's people that just want to get, they just want to do great work, and they just think that pushing their team through is is just the only way that they they've known it. Um, a lot of it is is 
I, I believe, unintentional. Um, it sounds like a dirty word for creative people, but just improving better process, um, mm. which is something the Germans are very, very good at, obviously. Um, it's like process and efficiency. And putting these in place and having mm, a little more structure actually, I think, encourages that non-asshole behavior, you know, mm -hmm. to... Yeah, if that makes cool. sense. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to... It was kind of a two-part question. The second part is... so. Like, is there an opposite to strive for? Because this premise of like being an asshole does not lead to good work, sort of a theme, right? Um, so my question was going to be, does the opposite, like is if, if being like, if the opposite of an asshole is like a good person who's like nice to be around and everything, does being that lead to good work? Or is it more that just being an asshole destroys work or it hurts, it hurts outputs, it hurts outcomes, it hurts process it hurts all of the things um or like does the is the nice guy nice guy or girl just as like will the work that they do be potentially just as not great good? question great question um the last chapter that i wrote in the book is called um how not being an asshole makes you an asshole <laughs> and i think it's in the context of the book when we talk about like being don't work for for assholes and don't don't be an asshole at work it's very much referring to i think inefficiency and again how being unintentionally mm, pushing people or having inefficient processes mm -hmm. can really lead, have a, a, a serious knock-on effect for for people's lives and then their output that's not to say that being nice is 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 uh the recipe for good for good work in fact like you need to be direct honest with feedback you need to be i would say very very sharp in your decision making um and these things certainly can have you perceived as an asshole not mr nice guy mm -hmm. example we moved office um i don't know like a year ago we moved office twice in la which is awesome um Whenever we moved to office, you'd always get everyone kicking and screaming. Everyone would be like, this is terrible. You know, this is going to add time to my commute or whatever. And it's Los Angeles. So everyone's in the car for like an hour, two hours every day or whatever. Mm. So, but it was necessary that we had to move the office to be closer to our clients. You know, this was the center of business, you know, on the West side. Mm -hmm. And even though people didn't want us to do it and they were like, oh, these guys suck for doing it. It's, it was necessary for business and like we are running a business. So to go back to your question, yeah, it's not about being Mr. Nice Guy, but it's about um, definitely making a better environment for people to produce great work. But, and also on the flip side, being an asshole, an asshole in air quotes, um, mm -hmm. when it's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the points that you mentioned in the book are uh, around, they sound like, like what you said there, stuff around like being inefficient or being inconsiderate of other people's time. Um, I remember one of the examples you used, um, I can't remember the name you gave the, the person, but it was like that they would turn up on a Friday, 5 p.m. when everyone's getting ready to go home going, oh, guys, the, the client loves the work, but uh, they want X, Y and Z done and they need it for Monday. Uh, best of luck with that kind of thing. Uh, they do it all the time. Uh, so like, obviously someone who does that, it's a, it's a bad work practice to do. But like in their minds, they're like, you know, they're almost like a cog in the machine, probably. And maybe... Maybe it's it's in an industry that hasn't that hasn't up to that point reached a level of maturity where you can kind of go that's not how we work, 
you know, there's no such thing as a design emergency, really. Uh, this, we can take this up on Monday and we can get back to you, you know, with fresh head, uh, that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, they, they probably feel like they're just part of the machine and they have to just ab- abide by those those rules that were laid down previously. Absolutely. And that's why I, I joke about account directors a lot. Like, And also my side project, Adloids, like we always made fun of the account directors. Mm. And the truth is, like, they're, they're often the biggest pain in the ass. Um, but they also have, I think, the hardest job because they're balancing a client's demands who says, hey, guys, on Friday um, afternoon, they say, hey, we need this feedback done by Monday. And the account director is kind of there stuck between the creative team and the clients going, the client wants it on Monday. It's 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 hard. I think actually for all of the fun that I I always make of account directors, um, I've worked with some great ones, and mm. I, I do always make fun of them because they're the we all know they're like the bane of the designer creative's life. Um, but that it's it's a bloody tough job, yeah. um, and it's it's hard it's hard to say no, especially if it's like a multi million dollar account. Mm. Um, it's hard to sometimes say no, but it comes from management, yeah, to enable the account person or the client person to say, Tom, exactly what you just said. Sorry, guys, you know, our team doesn't work at the weekend. Um, no. Yeah. Or I know in the book you're at, you're mentioning if, if it is required that there's a couple of things that you can do, which, it, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of options you can do. You can, uh, I don't, I don't have the flow diagram to hand here, but uh, I think one of the, the main, the best option that you said of it was to be basically just like give some time off in lieu or something to, to accommodate that extra time. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you're, there's always going to be occasions like I think like you know every couple of months we we're, we're pretty good that no one ever has to work weekends but there is like you know the crump, crunch before project launches like this there's a couple of late nights and that's totally normal totally fine mm-hmm. um, but we always make sure we say hey guys if you're working like four late nights to launch this website this week then please take at least one day off not at some point in the future but you're taking Monday Tuesday off and, mm. like that's that's just the way it's it is yeah, it's good to hear. It's interesting because you've seen, well, more recently, you've seen some some pieces come out kind of about the sort of millennial obsession with work and this sort of, this just being so invested in, in this life of work mm-hmm. and just over strenuous. I don't know if it was a New York Times piece or what that came out that was sort of a big kind of thing on that. But it sort of falls under the same umbrella of, of I think, your book, but also the ones you mentioned uh, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Those ones, um, just this like rethinking our relationship with work, kind of outside of this, this sort of not a bubble, but this this period of kind of almost extremism in how much we work and how much we we just invest our life uh, mm-hmm. into it. Um, and it's kind of refreshing to see that there's new ideas, there's new things coming out to say. Like, yes, there'll be some some overwork, but that always needs to be sort of balanced. And this kind of approach, the idea of balance, an idea of kind of understanding work can be stressful in anything, but that but that we offer balance uh, as like an, uh, a counterweight to that. Yeah. Lots of balance references, counterweight. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder also, Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I think it's interesting that it's happening now. I think we're... When it comes to overwork, that's never been, I think, as a as a culture, more a more how do I put it, um, a more blurring of the lines between work and play. Mm-hmm. Because 
like work follows us everywhere now. It's in your mm-hmm. phone. Like I, I do check my emails like in bed at night. It's terrible. So I think that that's why companies are really have to to take that step now. That's why it's it's so important. I, also, to your point, I think that's why you're seeing so much of this coming bubbling to the surface is because at least you know 10, 15 years ago, if you worked in a, a big ad agency, you when you left, you even if it was eleven o'clock at night, at least you are you are home and that was mm-hmm. it. Whereas now, of course, the work follows you home because you you have your your phone and you have your your devices and your people expect you to be always on. Mm-hmm. So setting setting those boundaries now, it's much more important. And it's, again, much more important to have a culture that, that makes, that ensures that people set their own boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And even in a world where work is much more distributed, people are in many different time zones. I think, um, like we've talked about this in previous episodes, but like that's even more important when someone is six hours behind you they're closing up shop as soon as someone else is is opening up shop Mm -hmm. like that that overlap can be can be a tense tense time and to sort of put rules around around how people engage in those off hours uh super important yeah yeah slack the demon slack is follows everywhere yeah it is but what what a great tool though <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if any tool is fo- needs to follow you around with work related things it, you know there could be worse ones yeah yeah like i wonder also uh, you know the, the the idea of great work like that's obviously important but i wonder how much of this is is important just because uh we care about sort of the journey of life and that we should enjoy that life a bit more so it's less it's it's you know don't be an asshole because it doesn't lead to good work. We want to do good work. Obviously, we all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us hopefully are driven to do good, good work. But also we just want to have like some peace and calm in our, in our daily lives. And that not having, not being surrounded by assholes just makes things a little bit calmer. Like, is that part of the sort of theme of this is just like, just to chill out a bit and relax. And nothing is that, nothing is that important that you need to be a dick to everybody around you. Totally. Like one of the things I talk about in the book is yes to all of that. Yes, you you should be nice and you should you should have a better work life balance. But for the people reading that book, I was also very keen to stress that, hey, even if you're a truly soulless creature and you just care (laughs) about money, well, then you should still not be an asshole and you should still have more sustainable practices because it's Hmm. yeah, like it's, it's not about moral purity. It's it's like just getting the best out of your teams and making mm-hmm. better work. And yes, they will be happier. Mm-hmm. And if they're happier, guess what? Their their work is going to be better. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think with the, with the creative industry, you know, like some of the, the examples and quite a few examples in the book that you're mentioning are kind of agency side. Even though you do you do uh, talk about working with, with along with or alongside client uh, in uh, client side teams as well, but I think. Like I've even found it, I, I worked with an agency, it was more of a kind of a, it was a kind of consultancy, long-term engagements, um, generally pretty well planned out. So it wasn't that typical kind of like working all night type thing. There would be crunch points, but the 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 planning and the scoping and all was all pretty, pretty good, I have to say. Um, so I never really had a lot of those 
I know, I know some other comp- some other companies, some some other people I've worked with, for example, one of the guys who used to work over in London and the agency, you know, uh, if it was like after six o'clock and someone was leaving, people would turn around and go like, you know, oh, thanks for coming in, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, <laughs> half day, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, <laughs> but um, like I've always personally, I've always found that like, you know, that I'm more I'm more effective when I take breaks between things, you know, so like really think about a problem in a very focused manner. Uh, re- immerse yourself in that and then kind of step away from it and just like let it just you know whatever just do its thing in the back of my brain and then ideas come through that those through those breaks you know as opposed to just someone you know behind you driving you constantly like oh no work later and come up with it make it better make it better um that's a that's, I, I don't know if that's a question or not just a point <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's 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 a really good point because like it's it's it sounds like a, such a fucking cliche, but like creativity doesn't come in a box, and ideas don't strike when it's convenient. Like mm. they should strike on the toilet or when you're doing something other than work. Yeah. Uh, and again, it goes back to that idea, like that that idea to have headspace for 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 those ideas or for creative play, because um, that's when that's when the, you're right. That's when the best ideas, that the best design solutions or whatever you're working on come. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually we last the, our, our last episode we put out there, we we're talking about learn by doing and DIY and that kind of thing. And I find it very therapeutic when I do that sub, those types of things. You're talking about on the toilet or in the shower, getting ideas, and you do get ideas in the shower and that kind of thing. But um, I often get if like I'm just doing like mundane DIY, even just even washing the dishes or like painting or you know putting some wood stain on the fencing at the back, and you're you're just going into this like this almost just completely mundane, completely just mechanical, switch your brain off, or no, sorry, you're just kind of almost on autopilot and it allows your brain to just kind of do its thing. And the amount of cl- like that clear ideas or the clarity of thinking that can happen at moments like that, it really makes you think, you know, we, we don't do enough of this, I don't think, you know. I know some people get it from going to the gym and running or whatever, that type of thing, but I think there needs to probably be more of a shift of like that mindful, you know, could, could there be a future where it's like this is part of my work? Do you know, yeah. it, this pro- this process of doing this thing is part of my job. You know, yeah, take like leaving the office and doing something like that. You know, yeah, that's it. it, it I fully agree. Like I, I'm the same. Like when I'm outside doing the, doing the exact same thing as you mentioned, staining the fence, and um, <laughs> which is something we don't have to do too much in California here, but you do have to, to do it every so often. Yeah. And it's so therapeutic. You're just there, and then like these ideas are coming to you, and it's. You're right. It, it maybe as maybe that is something that needs to be baked into the modern workplace. You know, with this always-on mentality, um, I think providing that structure, like I don't know what it would be, but providing that like that headspace for people is is important. Paul, have you seen because it's this idea of play at work or serious play, as you said, um, like it's something I've I've thought about. It's something I've tried to bring to my workplace in the past, um, but I've always find it hard to to implement it and to sort of like what do you do with it and how do you how do you pitch it in a way that that it still makes sense and can be bought into uh, and not just seen as oh the the designers want to go play for a bit and not do work um but like it's so critical like i feel like i don't have the space for that like even at work and then as soon as i leave work there's very little kind of i don't have a fence so i don't have a fence to stain uh which is a big problem i should get i should get a fence that's probably the problem yes you need a fence Um, (laughs) but like how do you do you have any kind of experience 
with kind of implementing that at work, maybe in your agency, or have you seen others, how they've done it, like to actually like in practical terms, how it, how it can play out? Yeah. Like, honestly, at Eden Speakerman LA, we don't have anything formal like that in place because we just don't have the infrastructure uh, mm -hmm. to do it. What we, what we do is we try and get people out on time so they can, they can do this in their own time. And I, I think that's, that's it. Like, it seems like the obvious thing, but that's definitely the easiest thing is to get people out of the office on time and mm. you know so they have their own headspace and, and create a culture where they're not being emailing um people at the weekends or at night you know even like the team will if i send someone an email no matter what time of the night it is they're always going to reply they're always going to look at it and i hate it so i can have i i try and schedule all my emails they'll go out in the morning even if i write them i'll have them in draft they'll go out in the morning there's mm. companies that do stuff like bigger tech companies with more money, obviously, than a, than a, a design agency. Um, I don't know if you know Headspace, the meditation app. Yeah. Um, like, that's all about well-being. And like, I know a couple of the folks there, and I know they have a, a really, um, like, they do group meditations. It sounds a bit kumbaya, but it's, it's I can imagine that's, that's maybe something more formal. Mm. Um, like, a lot of the tech firms are trying really hard, like with Google, with the nap pods and all of the, 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 the stilly stuff like the chefs and all this to try and create these these moments of calm mm -hmm. um the easiest solution as i said i think really for and the most pragmatic solution let's be honest is keeping people's hours short and leaving them alone when they're outside of the office and creating a culture where they leave each other alone in terms of work topics after mm -hmm. like five or six o'clock in the evening hmm. yep. on the topic of you know the work hours You've got some points in the book around meetings and that whole culture. Uh, like, what, what are your thoughts on that around you know, the quality of the work that you can get done in the hours that you have in the workday? It's like, I mean, there are X amount of hours in a day and that's not going to change. And you're usually can be productive. I think that the, the survey that I quoted in the book is like, which I thought was insane, but it's, it's a it's like three or four hours or something like that in a day where you're really productive. Mm. Um, it's incredibly short and it's 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 not going to change like you you can't change how you can optimize a little bit how productive people are with you know better or you know a better work environment but ultimately what needs to happen is better planning and better use of that time because you only have a finite amount of time that's the constant and you only have a finite amount of productive time in reality hmm. and that that's unchangeable so what can you do to plan around everything else and that's one of my pet hate is is meetings. Um, I think ninety five percent of meetings are unnecessary, and a hundred percent of meetings usually have too many people in them. Um, <laughs> that's not a scientific stat. I jest, <laughs> I jest, but I I really hate meetings, and like that's one thing I think Germans are, are very good at. One of the things we go into a meeting, it's like, what is the purpose of this meeting? What do we want to get out of it? And how can we get the fuck out of here in as little time as possible? Because mm. meetings and there are things you can change. There are things you can, you know, make more efficient and, you know, not using a meeting to, to, to waste everyone's time about like the latest episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, for example, hmm. as one person I worked with used to uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> so. But if you do use it for Game of Thrones or something, that's okay? Ab absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great point because I, I remember <laughs> in... Again, the, the previous agency that I worked in, we the 
we tried to do stuff like that, tried to make meetings. You know, basically we had those internal talks that we had and, sorry, some bottles rattling outside. There were internal talks that we had and, and one of the kind of very senior guys was basically edu- trying to educate the team on, on the whole idea of the concept of a maker versus a manager's schedule. So like a manager's schedule is kind of like, 15, you know, a day full of 15 minute blocks. So they, you know, they're just they're going almost going from meeting to meeting, talking about scheduling the team and all this type of thing. Whereas the maker schedule is more like they require a, a, a different. They need the time, as you're saying, to get in and do what you, you know, what should be deep work. You know, so if we had we kind of kind of came up with an idea where like if there were meetings to be had, that there were there were specific times. So it was like either uh, first thing in the morning, first thing before lunch, first thing after lunch. Or later in the day, or something. So there's, so there's a good block of time. So you basically have like you know stand up in the morning, and then you've got a good block of time up until maybe lunch or just before lunch. Not someone coming to your desk at like half ten, and you know saying, "Can I have five minutes?" And then it takes you half an hour to get back your brain back to what you were actually doing again. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you find yourself more in the manager side of things? Like yeah, in, in the like, role? like so most of the time that like quite. Quite honestly, like from in my role is usually traveling around, meeting clients, Mm. like doing more of that type of stuff. Mm. But at the same time, what I do and I find, and I'm very lucky to be able to do it, is when I need to focus, um, I will work from home. Like let's say I'm I'm doing a a, you know a strategy presentation or or whatever it might be, or you know a proposal for a client or a workshop prep. Hmm. I'll work from home, I'll turn off Slack, I'll turn off email, I'll turn off everything and I'll get my head, head down and do it. And that's a luxury that I have um, to be able to, to do that. Hmm. Um, and we encourage our teams to do that as well, like if they have stuff to do. But th- that's an exception. Like day to day, especially for like the teams actually working in the office every day, like I think that approach is, is really important where you, you say, here's your, your slots for meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, like we we don't honestly have anything like that formally implemented, and I might steal that idea um, <laughs> and implement it because it's something that drives people crazy. It drives designers crazy because, like you're right, it takes at least thirty minutes to get your head back in the game after mm-hmm. someone pulls you out for like five minutes. So yeah, I think that idea of having these 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 slots, you know, mm-hmm. it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think it's uh, getting things done by David Allen is the book that has that stuff in. Oh. If I remember correctly, so um, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, a question on kind of self awareness. So as I was looking, listening to your, one of your past talks, looking through some of the flowcharts, um, kind of thinking about how you look at yourself, because I think I'm a pleasure to work with, <laughs> uh, you know. But I think probably a lot of people think that they're really good to work with and think that they're generally nice people to be around. I feel like probably probably assholes don't have very good self-awareness uh, and don't know that they're they're really terrible to be around or have certain tendencies that are extremely annoying or difficult so i wonder like thinking about self-awareness like besides going through your flowchart of am i an asshole or not like are there are there like telltale signs that within your team or within your company that you're working in that that no i am i am the asshole here <laughs> How do you know you're the asshole? <laughs> that's that's a great question. Um, well, they could buy my book for seventeen ninety nine. Available <laughs> at all sorts. Uh, no, but yeah, this self awareness is 
like it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Most people, I think assholes are very rare, actually. Real dickheads. I think that they're incredibly rare and they, they probably don't even last that long in the company. Mm-hmm. But it's more like this asshole behavior of people who are, are probably actually quite nice people, but they are unintentionally through the organizational setup or whatever, are not making good decisions on behalf of their team. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great book called Radical Candor. Um, I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys have heard of that. Mm-hmm. And it's something I'm actually reading at the moment. And it's it's something that I'm trying to 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 do a lot more is, is when something isn't, um, when something, when, when something someone is doing is bothering me is immediately saying, hey guys, can you please change this? This is not, this is not how we should be doing this and creating a, you know, a culture of openness. Like the reality is, Craig, to go back to your point, like people are unaware, you know, being, a, being, if they're an asshole or not, what's important is having an environment where there's, there's no culture of fear, where someone can walk up to them and say, Hey, uh, can you please stop having the, the team work late on Friday nights, you know, or, or whatever. And that culture mm-hmm. of openness and candor is, is probably the only way because people, yeah, people are by their nature not very self <coughs> self reflective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Like, it also makes me think about this sort of mythology around assholes, or like these archetypal assholes uh, who have been very like seen as very effective, like leadership figures. Like, um, I mean, there's the the one that comes to mind is like the Steve Jobs, who is sort of infamous of being someone who people maybe had a difficult time working with, um, but at the same time is like a luminary in this industry, right? As, as someone who's achieved so much. I wonder like how to, how do you get past that? Or how do you sort of reconcile? Like there are, there are these leadership figures who are very difficult people to be around, yeah. but they achieve a lot in that. Like, you know, just sort of being aware of that myth and how do we, work through that you know yeah it's it's a great point i the, actually it's interesting that book i mentioned radical candor um the lady touches on that uh, about working with steve jobs and like there was this myth around him being this asshole but there was also this understanding amongst his teams that he was mm. you know what to take personally and what not to um yeah. but all that being said um there's, there's there's still a difference between being a, an asshole for the sake of it um, just like being genuinely, yeah, like th- I would say intentionally just, just being an asshole and having an ego. And then some people, which I've, I've never obviously met Steve Jobs, but I'm, I'm sure he was, he just wanted to make great work. And, you know, that was, he was just direct and, you know, focused on that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the answer though. You know, there's, there, yeah. there's some, there's just different personality types. I can tell you that. The one thing that's that's true is that talent has more choice than ever. So mm. there's lots of great people making great stuff. It's not just one guy that's an asshole like Steve Jobs, and people will just leave now. You know, it's mm-hmm. it gone are the days where people worked in a company for thirty years and then they got their gold watch and they retired. Mm-hmm. People change jobs like that. I don't know the, the exact numbers, but it's like three, five years or something like that in the creative industry. Like five years is, a, is is here, at least in the States, is a long time for someone to be in, a, in one company. Mm-hmm. So the behavior is just less and less tolerated because design is 
more revered, I think, than ever. And young people have more choice and there's more transparency. So maybe, again, 20 years ago, Steve Jobs could 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 be an asshole because, yeah, and there would be a certain amount of people today, of course, that would still follow someone like that. But people have more choice now. So I hope. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think, would you say, you know, for for people listening who feel that they work for an asshole, how do they know if they should quit? Like, how should they assess that situation if if your boss happens to be an asshole should you should you leave that job and find another because there are probably options um or you know is it more complicated than that to make that kind of decision i think it it, it it's definitely more complicated like that because that extreme figure that that would make you like if there's someone that that makes you walk out of the office in tears every day then you should be getting the fuck out of there obviously <laughs> but if <laughs> if there's someone that's like pushing the team to work late and the you know that sort of stuff is fixable mm-hmm. you know yep. and if it's not fixable like if there's a culture where where if you went up to you know to the to the creative director and said hey you know none of the team appreciates that they've that you know week on week they're here every friday night until 11 o'clock then maybe it's time to go and mm-hmm. you know if, if if that feedback isn't incorporated yeah it seems like also there's a there's a bit of like almost checking your own ego too like you know designers some designers have an ego right and if if someone's giving you like say you have a like a weekly critique and there's a director who's always kind of feels harsh or feels like they're directing their critique at you and they're picking out details that you think is unfair or something like maybe some of that is valid but maybe some of it is just i can't take uh the criticism and i need to work through that like is there is there an element of that like your own checking your own ego yeah checking your own uh, own ego like it's so much of it's it's just common sense as well it's like you know Mm. designers need to have a thick skin um Mm. like going back to eric 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 speakerman he's i'd say one of the least assholish people that i've ever met but like when you're working with him like he gives brutal feedback it's like really this sucks why are you doing this you know but at the same time he doesn't demean people he's like just very open and honest and he's like this sucks we need to start again but yet i think the culture at eden speaker man especially in the berlin office that's that's been there a long time it's like one of the the best places i've ever experienced to to work and not just because i've worked there but also just visiting other offices of different companies it's like this is this is a good culture when it comes from the top that's a that's a good point that you're making there and uh, you alluded to it as well previously or, or well i was thinking about when you guys were talking about some of your points you're making is that it's the kind of um you know the idea of conflict and and you know when you hear the word conflict it, it, it all automatically has like a like a negative connotation as in like that's a bad thing you know that's you know but but sometimes maybe conflict's not the right word but like you know debates or arguments in with the work in mind is a good thing you know you could it's very easy to be kind of like um i don't think any, i think people should be kind when they need to be and all that type of stuff but they should also be stand up for the work and kind of like you know they should all be ideally you don't want to be shouting at each other or fighting each other but if you if there's something if something's being like pushed through and you're like no no that's not right i don't think that's the right thing to do for this work for x y and z reasons like you know you can you can hold a position and sometimes it can get a little bit tense depending on you know the this the subject matter that you're talking about or you know or possibly the kind of personality types in the room um but i do think that i think it's worth not just not just always shying away from things like or 
or I don't know, maybe it's a maybe it's an idea, or maybe it's just a perception I have that it seems like you know if you look at Twitter or something like that, you, you might get the impression that people that any any kind of like putting critiquing someone or being overly harsh about something is is a bad thing you know um where i'm not i don't i don't think it necessarily is it depends how it depends how it's framed obviously you know and if it's the yeah. work you're talking about and not attacking the person exactly and you hit the nail on the head there it's the difference between professional and talking about the work and then it getting personal because mm. like making great work let's be honest it's 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 bloody hard it's it needs a lot of debate it needs a lot of strong opinions um there's, there's a reason why design by committee doesn't work mm-hmm. um, it's it's and it should get heated like, i think if you're you should be um be, being being nice shouldn't be conflated with um not being passionate and i think that that's that's mm-hmm. the important line and i think that that like you mentioned this tension or this you, you need that you need you you need that to make great work and you need this mm-hmm. this you know this conflict and this push um to make you know even a little bit of competition you know with within teams to make great work and to to drive yourself um but all that's professional you know all of that's in the context it's not you don't take that home with you it's 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 work and there's that fine line and i think again why i think this topic is so important is because creative people by their very nature take their work home with them and i think Hmm. managers have a responsibility to help leave as much of that in the office as possible so that they can go home and have this free headspace to do other things mm. and feedback yeah. is is obviously our not feedback but um critique is is a necessary part of of the work but it's something that you then leave at the office and if you're not leaving it at the office because it gets personal that's when mm. it crosses that line so something that's related to this idea of possibly like you know work-related conflict or uh, earlier on you're mentioning like reasons of like if you can't we don't feel like you can change the, the situation or the person or the person that you're working with is too much of a, you know quote unquote an asshole um that you i, th- I think o- oftentimes you know people just make the decision to leave and maybe they don't actually try and address something so you know you mentioned it i think craig asked you earlier on but i think in the past, I've found that sometimes retrospectives of sorts or, you know, like maybe stop, start, continues of what we're doing. Like, so not, it's not like, it's not my, the problem I have with you or I problem have with other, the other person. It's like, maybe it's a problem that's more systematic or systemic. Um, maybe if we step back, like, are we being the most efficient? Like you can probably frame it in that kind of way or is there anything we can work on? Is our communication a bit lacking or any of those types of things? And, um, is it maybe worth trying to do that before you, you know, just go, ah, oh, I'm out the door and go looking around? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like, un- unless you really, really hate everything about where, you, where you're working. But yeah, like, I, I think you, you touched on there, like uh, retrospectives is something that, especially in longer term projects, it's, it's so important. You do these, like, ideally, you, if you're working in sprints, like, you know, two week sprints of, of work, doing mm-hmm. a retrospective at the end of every sprint is very helpful. But even like just office wide, it's mm-hmm. always important. Like we 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 done our annual reviews there a few months ago, like it's at the start of the year. And like the, the main thing, of course, is to give people their feedback. But for us, it's really important. It's like, you know, we want to hear your feedback and what we're soaking at as, as management um, or as team management, giving them that 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 space to do that so we can we know what we, we can improve because it goes both ways. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
and so on from that if, if you do decide if you're like okay you know I'm, I've, I've as you mentioned on maybe you've been there for three years or even five years in some place or you know or even less if you realize okay maybe it's time for me to move on a good opportunity comes up or I've maybe I've, I've feel, I'm feeling more like moving from an agency uh, type environment to a more in-house environment you've got some um you've got a section in the book around like you know the kind of hiring and firing side of things so um and there's like a checkbox of inter- interview red flags as well i thought it was quite interesting <laughs> as well um like what are your thoughts around around that like uh, like I, I mentioned some of them that you have written out here i've got it in front of me like so the interview red flags are like evidence of long hours people eating lunch at their desks uh, excessive office comforts that indicate staff are encouraged to work longer yeah <laughs> how comfortable is your office nothing no seats <laughs> everyone has to stand <laughs> Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's funny, like those, there's, there's these little things to watch out for. I think when you go in and interview at a place, mm-hmm. I think working, like everyone eating lunch at their desk is a telltale sign. Like I, it, it's really quite a telltale sign if everyone's doing it. Like we all do it from time to time, but if everyone's mm-hmm. doing it, you know, something's off. Yeah. So Paul, a lot of your experience has been in the agency side, but I'm sure you're aware and have been involved with in-house teams like closely from what I know about how the agency works. So I wonder, do you see any cultural differences, agency between agency and in-house um, in relation to this this theme of, of work and overwork and, and all of that? It, it's a great question. And I always joke that the in-house teams that we work with now are are like often better than the agency teams. You know, it's 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 amazing how many great people are, are going in-house and I think it's great you know especially if you're building a long-term product like a like a, an app or like a, a big website it's, it's a chance to, to really get in and go deep and understand mm-hmm. what the people using this product are actually going to do so I think it's it's a really that's a really smart decision um, I probably don't know enough to say it's better or worse at an in-house company like this good and bad it's just like agencies, this good and bad. Like agencies, I think, will always have more churn and more, how do I put it, more more fast-paced projects just by the, its very nature. Like it's, we come in, we do something, and then maybe we're out, you know, be it, be it over a year or be it over two weeks or whatever the length of the project is. Whereas with in-house, it's, it's always going to be there. You know, you're always, you know, it's, it's just longer, you know, um, longer timelines on, on the types of project generalizing here, of course. So mm-hmm. like it's, that's not to say you can't get long hours or, or bad culture at in-house. You, you can get it just as much as an agency, but just because agency projects tend to be on a timeline, it, it, it's definitely, there's a reason that the, that the creative agency has had a bad rep. It's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I read a tweet yesterday from uh, Tobias van Schneider. Um, and he's like working for agencies is like a boot camp unrealistic deadlines new technologies a lot of pressure demanding clients and constantly something new if you're young new to the industry and you want to learn a lot start in an agency it's the battlefield where you will grow and uh, like that resonated with me I replied to him but like and you were kind of mentioned it there as well and someone who's came from an agency background like I worked in an agency for like seven years or eight years and I worked on lots of diversity of projects Um and like that, they were they were they were somewhere in between. Like they were shorter, shorter timelines, but also somewhat realistic. 
but I found that like that you, you, you the variety that you got was both a good and a bad thing yeah because you, you know you had a lot of experience seeing a lot of different uh, working with a lot of different clients different different industries seeing lots of different problems but the impact that you could have on them sometimes was a little bit I won't say superficial, but you, you you touched on it as well about not being able to go as deep as you can if you're working on an in-house product where you can kind of pour, sweat all the details, do all the user testing. Um, it's not just version one. That it kind of in an agency, an agency, you can often feel like the deliverable is kind of version one of the the product or something, and so then it needs to be you know refined. But you're unless the client has a budget to keep you on for. A, Long, longer engagements chances are you're probably going to move on to the next project and someone's going to take up that kind of uh the governance of that of that uh of that product yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's i think those those big projects that last for years and years for agencies are also on the way out i think agencies are which is a whole other topic but that agencies mm-hmm. the role that we're, we're playing is going to be more like consultants and really the people that bring fresh ideas and like i think that the big products are going to be increasingly built in-house because the teams in-house are, are the experts now, mm. you know, so, mm. but I, I suppose on a personal level, like I'm an agency guy through and through. I love it. I love working in an agency. I love running an agency because you do get to work on all of this different stuff. And, you know, you, you do, it is a bit insane. Like even, mm. at, even at the best of times, there's always, you know, you do have, even if you're working your eight hours a day and you're really diligent about that, they're they're a tough eight hours, you know. There's no there's no mm-hmm. denying that. That's again why work life balance is so important. But uh, it's a great eight hours a day to work in an agency because you're always doing different stuff. But uh, and mm-hmm. I, I'd echo Tobias's um, sentiments on that. It's a lot of interns that we have through there. You know, they're they're asking me what should I do next. You know, if they're, if they're an intern that we don't take on, and I always say go to an agency. You know, I think going to a product company and pushing pixels at the start of their career was that's what a junior at a, at a Facebook or a Google would do um, is is yeah it's a I think it's a misstep for a very very junior designer they need to to experience as much as possible um, and then get out of it if if, if they if it's not for them because it is a madhouse <laughs> yeah but you can learn what you like you get it's it's almost like a taster menu as well it is you know yeah. you can kind of you can you can go oh, I did it. Or in college, if it's like they're like you're doing loads of these different modules, and you're like, I like this more so than that, like you know, and then you can either choose to go, you can probably choose to go deep on something like if research or something is uh, something that tickles your fancy more than out and out kind of UI design or something. Yeah. And, yeah. Paul, do you find that in terms of people that resonate with the sort of message of your book or the message of the talks that you've given, do you find them to be more on the agency side or on the in-house side, or is that not even? I think it's uh, a thing you've noticed. Like, and and then follow up is, uh, are agencies more prone to have assholes than than in house mm-hmm. teams? Yeah. Or yes. Not? Or is the other way around? No, a- agencies are more prone to have assholes. That's that's I think an indisputable fact because because <laughs> of the pace. You know, intentional or not, mm-hmm. when you have this fast pace, and again, even if you're working reasonable hours, there's still there's still you still have to get a lot done in the time that you're there always because there's these unrealistic deadlines and even if you're diligent and you have you you push them realistically with the clients there's just always a lot of stuff to get done and when there's a lot of stuff to get done and people are, are really busy um that's when 
you know, I think this behavior comes out it, for, for, mm -hmm. from even the best of us, you know, it's like, mm. it, and I think that, again, when you just have more time, um, at, you know, with an in-house team, I'm not saying that that's an easy role because it's definitely not, there's a, a whole plethora of other challenges there, um, mm. but I just, the, the, the sheer nature of the pace at an agency just makes it more prone to, to unsustainable work practices. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it's sort of like the in-house team has its own types of challenges. Maybe it's less about assholes because of, yeah, there's not that hard. Well, some product companies would have that hard push to, to you know, ship stuff constantly. Um, but in general, probably across the board, it's a little bit more, it's more laid back, a little bit more set your own pace sort of. And that sort of creates an environment that's a little different with its own challenges. Maybe even the the slow pace can even be a challenge in itself um, for some designers. I always yeah. I always joke about it, but like in an agency, you have to become a subject matter expert over the weekend. Like, and that's <laughs> that's yeah. and that that's the part that I think drives us all crazy, right? It's like it's like mm -hmm. how do I how am I going to become an expert on this on this hemorrhoid cream by by Monday? You know, <laughs> go get <Yeah>. hemorrhoids. <laughs> I'm reaching that age now, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 35, you know, so I have that, I have hemorrhoids to look forward to. Uh, so your next book could be to how to treat an asshole with hemorrhoid, with hemorrhoid <laughs> and, cream. Yeah. And do great work at the same time. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably a good point. That's a good point to, to finish up the, the episode then, is it? Or is, yeah, it's perfect. Is there anything else you want to cover at all, Paul? I think though. You can plug the book before we go. Like, you know. um, available, buy it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we let you plug this book, uh, How to Do Great Work Without Being an Asshole by Paul Woods. And publisher is? Lawrence King. Lawrence King Publishing. And where can people get this book? So the book is available um, more or less anywhere books is sold, I think. It's available in mm. English. German, Spanish, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese, and Russian. So, wow, whatever language you speak, there's a version for you. Nice. Now, can you can you say the title in all of those no, languages? I got, I got this one in the mail. Actually, I don't know if you guys can see it. Literally, just this morning, which is like Japanese one, which is crazy. Oh, cool. yeah. Hold on, here, hold that up to the camera. I'm gonna take a photo. Uh, hold on, oh, I can stick it up. So this is nice. Can we get your can your face there as well? I can get a smile from you, maybe. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, yeah, that's, it's been great having you on, Paul. And are you, are you doing a bit of a tour with the book? So I'm going to be in speaking at Glug Dublin on June 6th. And then I'm going to be at the Birmingham Design Festival on June 8th and at Creative Mornings in Berlin on the 14th of June. Great. Awesome. We'll definitely make it along to the, to the Dublin show, Glug. It looks to be a good talk. I haven't actually made any of those talks yet, but they always look to be uh, really good speakers. Yeah. Uh, actually, Aoife, who we had on the podcast a few episodes ago, is the organizer for that. Yeah. She, Aoife O'Dor. Yeah. Yeah. And we had the CEO of Glug on too, so we've got a, quite a Glug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Glug, active Glug pod, oh. podcast here. They're great <laughs> events. Well, I done one here in LA, and it was really good. It's, 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 always, uh, yeah, it's always good fun. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Paul, thanks very much for coming on the on the, uh, the podcast. It was great to catch. Great to see you again after so long. Actually, I see you on social media and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's great to have a chat with you again after so long and to see you're doing so well. Likewise, 
Great yeah. to catch Thanks. up and Thanks, Paul. Uh, Great to hopefully catch you both in person. Absolutely, yeah. See you at Glug. Can we have a couple of points? Of course. Before you go, do you want to? Is there? Um, do you want to give any Twitter handles or anything like that? Uh, yeah, the book is available online um, or in bookstores from, and also on the usual spots on Amazon, etc. If you want a sneak peek, you can go to theassholebook.com. <laughs> and about you, your Twitter <laughs> handle or anything? No. You can follow me at Paul Illustrator. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, Thanks guys. Paul. Talk Bye. to you soon. All the best.